Welcome to Sonic Talk number... Oh, I keep forgetting to update that lower third. It says 302, but we're in fact, we're all the way up to 304, which um, if it had any sort of significance, I'd insert some kind of witty moment at this point. But I haven't got one prepared, so I'm hoping maybe one of my two guests will be able to insert one for me. Uh, I'm sure that perhaps Mr. Dave Robinson from ProSign News Europe <laughs> might be up to the task. Can you think uh, of any it's... relevance to 304? It's a sort of an upgraded uh, 303, isn't it? It's like a devilfish version of the. Do you think it's the next Roland version? The, 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 they'll be they'll release a TB 304. God forbid yeah. they had that much foresight. <laughs> For the people who live next door. Yeah, it, actually, this one doesn't sound like a 303 at all. It's a new wow. kind of um, Cosm-based uh, virtual kind of synthesis, which has uh, uh, acoustic properties that uh, you've never heard before. Exactly, you've been. <laughs> You've been reading their private uh, internal email, by the sounds of it. No, I, I wouldn't dare. I wouldn't dare. Anyway, Dave Robinson, editor of Pro Sound News Europe, man about town, man with a whiteboard and a widescreen TV. I was going to get a copy of my magazine to, to put up on the screen, but I've, I've just got sister, sister magazine, Installation Europe, instead, so that doesn't work, does it? Well, it's, it's still flying the flag. You, do you, do you not have one about your person at all times? I, I don't. I forgot to... I neglected to bring one in. Uh, well, Dave Robinson, of course, is editor of Pro Sound News Europe, which is a kind of... Uh, uh, behind-the-scenes, live sound, studio sound, kind of professional installation, that kind of stuff, would you say? Just uh, in a well, sentence? I, I wouldn't say that. Okay. Let's go on. Tell me what it is, then. It's, uh, yeah, it's a, a news-based title for the pro audio industry across Europe. Studios, broadcast, live sound, touring sound, installed sound. There we go. And well, you're indeed... So you kind of you're indeed the editor. I am. Monsieur Editor. In a, um, so thank you very much for joining us, Dave. It's been it's a pleasure to get you here. Um, how's the online stuff going? Are you kind of, um, you're still forging ahead, making inroads into that area? Uh, we are. We're trying very hard. We've uh, been doing some SEO work recently, which has proved uh, fascinating ext- subject. <laughs> extremely fruitful. So yeah. have you found yourself sitting at the back of uh, endless seminars? Messing about making paraplane aeroplanes and then keep keeping the only uh, the salient points. Uh, n- well, I kind of did that a few years ago. I remember going to a Twitter um, introduction, which um, must have been two thousand and six, late two thousand and six. A guy at the time saying, "Hey, Twitter, and it's going to do this," and everybody going, "What? Why would we want to do that?" But then, of course, we realised we didn't realise just how it was going to take over the world. So revolutionised everything. Anyway, Dave, thank you. People can find your good publication at that URL provided. Just uh, yeah, it's PSN. Just it used that. to be ProSound News Europe. It's now PSNEurope.com. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. I'll have to update right. that. I can't unfortunately yeah. well, do it's it been right a while, now, hasn't it? Yes. Anyway, um, so back to our other guest. We haven't had him for a little while either, actually. This is Mr. Gaz Williams, uh, songsurgeon.co.uk. Uh, oh, that's Dave Spears. That's entirely the wrong one. Gaz Goldstar on Twitter. Gaz, of course, uh, been working with uh, Carl Hyde on uh, a solo project, doing kind of rehearsing like crazy um, with uh, musicians of the highest calibre. Have you got a day off then? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Underworld are off to Mexico for a few weeks, so uh, nice. to do some gigs. So yes, so I'm back home for a bit, and then our our tour starts then, sort of at the end of 
March. There's a warm-up gig in Brighton for any UKers in the 25th, I think, of March. So that'll be the first gig that we're going to do. Then we're off to Japan. Curses. I'm going to be in um, Cornwall. So it might be a bit of a trek. <laughs> That's my caravan holiday booked. Starting on the 24th, be lovely. Be a great time. So, Gaz, um, you've been uh, what, catching up on your laundry and sort of uh, doing other stuff. What have you been up to? Uh, I haven't done any laundry yet. I've just got masses of washing to do. <laughs> what have I been doing? I've been doing some fun things. Uh, I played a few gigs with uh, a dance band called The Egg, who are kind of classic that sort of live band. And I did those gigs using just my iPad, which is really, really good fun. So, so it's like kind of live techno kind of thing. Uh, and Where was, I was that, Gaz? And that was in Bristol, in a, well, in a couple of venues in Bristol over a couple of nights. Um, so they're, they're local to um, around here, aren't they, to, to Bristol and Bath? Yeah. Kind of, yes, yeah, some are. Uh, they're kind of... There's two twins who run the, who run the, the band, really. Um, yeah. But, I mean, this it's wasn't... Math? And yeah, yep, Muff and Ned, the twins. Very, yeah. uh, very uh, well uh, regarded uh, session musicians, those guys actually mm. did a lot of stuff in acid jazz days, I seem to remember. <laughs> what was interesting, I should say, is that um, the whole kind of temp- the tempo of the whole thing, the whole kind of groove is completely governed by Muff playing uh, drums. So what he's got is he's got this, oh, I can't remember the name of the software, I'll have to get it off him, but it, it's, uh, it synchronizes Ableton Live to what he's playing in real time. So there's no click track, it's all based on Math's real kind of live drumming and feel. So, you know, he can vary the tempo and everything. So he gave me like a MIDI out with sort of, um, with, with tempo clock on there, MIDI clock, and then so, so I could kind of synchronize things with it. Although I have to say what I was doing was so much fun. I just got to explain it because I was using Music Pro on the iPad, which is like this hexagon kind of layout. Oh, yeah. Um, and so that was, I was using that as a MIDI controller and I was using the brand new PPG sound mapper synthesizer. Oh, sounds lovely that actually. It's got a very interesting oh. synthesizer. It's amazing, <laughs> and I tell you what was—I tell you what was really cool with it was, um, there's a random button on there, and when you press the random button, you just get the most unbelievably random sound. Uh, <laughs> As so, one would hope. Well, this is what I was doing, and it was like a really funny form of improvisation in that. <laughs> I was like, press- I'll give you these three words, and you have to make a you have to make something <laughs> out of it. Where you just get a patch, and you have to come up with something. Well, well, to be honest, what I was doing was I was pressing the random button, jump into the kind of hexagon, uh, the the music's thing, and then just waiting for an opportune moment to come in, and then join in. And I haven't heard the sound, so I don't know what on earth is going to come out. And it's so random the sound, and like sometimes the sound was amazing. It was amazing. Amazing! It just was like oh, and it was so stimulating. Excellent. And then you just what about the other times? Well, the one time that Ned was kind of looking over, he's kind of like nodding to sort of like see what I was doing. I was going like, "Hey, watch this now!" <laughs> <laughs> Called up this random sound, flicked back, doing exactly the same thing, and came in with this. Nip, nip. <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> like the most disappointing sound you could possibly imagine. That's like, always oh. uh, it's a bit of a lottery there. <laughs> it's, but um, yeah, come. Interesting, you were talking about alternative controllers there. Do you see what I did? Mm. I see why you did. Because I've got uh, I've got something to show you, and uh, here it is. 
Let's see, I'll play this. It should play. This is the seaboard from Rolly or Rolly. Uh, I think there's some sound to go with it. And it's a kind of new controller. Um, it's a bit like the Hacken to Continuum. It's got a spongy sort of uh, pressable surface with X, Y and poly pressure. All of this is poly stuff with a kind of keyboard layout. And if you're into Pat Metheny, as you can hear, it's a very expressive instrument. But, I mean, it could do a lot more besides. This is the only video that's actually out for it yet. Um, and I went along to uh, Real World, um, uh, where they'd set one up, and we were able to have a bit of a play with it. And it's quite an interesting concept. The whole thing is sort of quite quite an interesting idea. Uh, and uh, I just wonder what people thought about this. I mean, there is a lot of background. I don't know if, Dave um, Robinson, you've actually heard anything about this, because they've been sending out press releases all over the place, you know, in the last couple of days to sort of big it up. They're doing an 88-key version with uh, uh, a limited edition, and they've got a demo at South by Southwest with uh, Mr. Jordan Rudess, who will giving it, uh, be giving it a thoroughly good prodding, no doubt, because he's a hack and continuum player. So in this case, it sort of makes sense because he's got that kind of those poly pitch bend chops all together and stuff. It's just, you know, one of those, uh, uh, another opportunity for him, as it were. Um, but this is a very interesting device uh, in that it's very incomplete as well as being sort of promising a lot. Um, I played it. And I had a chance to mess around with it and talk to the people behind it. Uh, I have to say, I mean, whether it had been in the back of a car for a long time, I'm not sure. But it felt like chicken breast. Sort of when you <laughs> pressed it and touched it. And, and that was sort of is a bit weird. And it takes a little while because, I mean, you can play it extremely badly quite easily. <laughs> because you get all of that. If you don't get your hands in the right place, you get that, that pitch bend all over the shop. Um, but it's quite quick. It's much quicker to get proficient on it than it is, say, on a, something like a Harkon, which uh, uh, famously takes quite a long time to master. Um, have you ever... I mean, you're a keyboard player, aren't you, Dave? So, I mean... I am, yeah. Uh, uh, you're looking kind of... I'm, I can't tell whether you're looking at the screen in a kind of a quizzical, interested way or a kind of, this looks... I, I have seen this. Um, I was approached by uh, the PR company a little while ago, and we know who yeah. uh, that is. I, uh, I'm not sure if you mentioned who, who that is, but... Um, it's somebody who's worked with a lot of keyboards, let's put it that way. Yeah. And um, I had a look at it. Uh, it's not ProSound News' territory, really, controllers. No, sure. Um, but it's interesting because I read your comments about, uh, about the Eigenharp, of course. How many years ago was that when we saw that launched? And a nice idea. But um, this, any controller that, that takes uh, too much effort to learn how to operate ain't going to make it um, and that's very much the message that um, very much the message that I got from the MIDI conference at uh, NAM. actually the, the the 30 years of MIDI with Jordan yeah we S. covered that it's an interesting yeah very interesting. which was they talked far too much about controllers I would say they talked less about what what MIDI and sequencing has done but that's a whole another issue um, but at least the seaboard uh, is a familiar shape it is a keyboard effect yeah. And um, what was the, the Harkin Continuum? Now that's the th that's the three D controller that allows you to push the keys. Is that it's what? the same thing? I mean, this does the same thing. You press. You've yeah. got poly pressure on all of them, but you've yeah, also and got X and Y, and uh, so you've got that. But you've also got that up and down the keys as well. Yeah, and Jordan uh, Jordan Rudess is a big. Uh, he he's Mister Controller, isn't he? If there's a yeah. new controller to be had, then then let him add it. Um, uh, and at least this one, it looks like one of those things that you roll out and stick in, into your iPad or your, you know, your old um, 
uh, instant sort of keyboard for your laptop, you know, un- un- unwind it, uh, oh, just it kinda... and off you go. But obviously there's a, yeah, uh, but obviously there's a lot more to it than lot, that and a lot more involved. It would be interesting to see whether this does have any um, traction because amongst, amongst keyboard players, amongst uh, uh, serious performers, because, I mean, that's obviously who it's aimed at. And it does noodly-doodly jazz stuff. It does lend itself to that. I can see a lot of people in a lot of bands in the, in the States uh, being... Um, <laughs> I was wondering, actually, well, I, the thing I immediately saw for it, well, there were two aspects which immediately sounded like the possibility. One is um, big orchestral string libraries, where rather than velocity key switching, you've got all this extra expressivity on sort of the, mm. these additional aspects. But you've also got... Uh, uh, the possibility of control voltage output. So you could be controlling larger modular stuff because you've got much higher resolution and you know, the expressivity could be kind of uh, very nicely uh, implemented on that. I mean, they're talking about... Uh, th- there are two issues, I think. The first issue is what out there can receive polyphonic aftertouch, let alone polyphonic XY, polyphonic... all these other aspects to it. And there isn't many things. And in fact, they've had to, what they've had to do is they've built these... Um, it's quite interesting. They've built these multiple instances of uh, things in Logic. So you've got, you know, 10 channels of the same sound that that are loaded on some sort of macro, and each note is then playing a different version. So you get full pitch bend on each note, you know, which is... As you think, but but that you know, not everybody's going to want to do that, obviously, because it's a bit of a pain. So the problem is for them is what will it be able to play, and that is the kind of the, the key problem to solve, I think. And and they're working with uh, a software manufacturer to take you know the sort of plugins like like Spectrosonics, where you can have sixteen channels of uh, an instance within the overall plugin itself, so you can have multi-timbral ones, and that might need just a small amount of adaptation. It's eight in that, but that might just need a small amount of adaptation to work with something like this. But again, it's like a hurdle to overcome, because frankly, you know, if I got one of these things and I thought, oh, I just want to play a, and then I had to spend the next four hours figuring out how to set up all of this stuff in my DAW, I might, you know, not feel so warm and fuzzy towards Mm. it. So that's that's an an issue, I think. Um, I get the impression from uh, from talking to uh, Roly's PR person, that they have uh, a, a number of ideas that uh, this company want to bring through. That Roly, whoever they are, they have a number of ideas, clever controller yeah. ideas or whatever that we're going to see more of. Uh, spin, I mean, they whether, want to spin off from this, I think, definitely. Yeah, I mean, whether that's just um, I'm buying the PR, I don't know. But we'll wait and see. Well, I'm. I, I mean, I had time with the guy, and I was. I, I wasn't. I, I mean, asked some fairly direct questions of them, uh, and there was a lot of kind of. Well, we're thinking of, and we're we're going to be. You know, so that was a little bit disappointing to hear. I mean, it works at the moment, um, so that's that's kind of cool. But I, then I had this idea myself of what about rather than kind of trying to create all these these instances that were really complex, there might be a simpler way of doing it, which is effectively you just layer three channels of MIDI across it. So you've got layer one is notes and poly aftertouch. Layer two is just poly aftertouch, but only responding to the the Y. And layer three is poly aftertouch just responding to the X. So you effectively just send three channels of stuff out. And it's actually quite simple then. And then you just interpolate that. So you only need uh, a, a synthesizer or an instrument that will respond to three separate channels of controller information. And then you can do lots of kind of crazy stuff. And that would make it quite a lot simpler. Uh, and not, but perhaps not so in exciting a, pros, a prospect. I mean, the idea of bending all notes individually 
it, while um, it sounds like a really good idea, in practice, when you're playing it, what it ends up, what you end up with is a load of wobbly chords. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's my, you... that's my experience, really, with the, uh, with the Eigenhalf that I had. I, you know, I found, I loved the idea of it, but then in practice... You couldn't play I... any notes. Well, <laughs> <laughs> They were all off. <laughs> yeah, and, and then coming back to that earlier point about setting stuff up as well, I mean, getting my... Cuneo was very much thinking, wow, you know, polyphonic after touch, uh, and then just only to be sort of grounded with it with by the amount of effort it is to get set up. So, I mean, it's uh, it's it's a, it's an interesting one. I do totally believe, though, that polyphonic after touch is going to become quite commonplace. I mean, the Q-Nexus, obviously, the follow-on from the Cuneo, which is, uh, I know some people talking about it in the chat room there, is a little keyboard format with uh, polyphonic aftertouch. So I'd, I'd imagine lots more, um, lots more plugins will natively support poly polyphonic aftertouch. I do believe that uh, Omnisphere does actually receive polyphonic aftertouch messages now. Um, it, yeah, you and, could be right. I mean, I think that the issue yeah. is, is obviously that's going to be a lot easier to implement than, than all of these kind of grand ideas about getting everybody well, on board. For, I wrote... I wrote to Spectrosonics when I had my eye harp and tried to talk them into it, and then they wrote back saying, yeah, all right, so I think it's all my fault. So I would like to think so. A man with influence not. there. Probably Fantastic. Not. Probably not. Probably or not. it was just a simple of que a question of checking a checkbox and then recompiling it. So, you know. Yeah. Well, okay. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't, though. I'm sure well, it was. Uh, what I was going to say, uh, so I think that, you know, I mean, We've talked about polyphonic aftertouch before, and coming back to this um, Roly thing, um, you know, that when you play like, say, sorry, so when you play on an iPad, one of the great things that you find playing on the iPad is being able to play with polyphonic aftertouch and just yeah. to sort of, you know, just to explore what an absolutely wonderful thing that is, you know, being able to hold down a chord and being able to just vary the different notes and stuff is, is a really wondrous thing. So it is... You know, seeing controllers that support this is just, is like the logical next thing. And, you know, um, there is some keyboards, isn't there, that you can buy quite cheap uh, 80s ones. The um, uh, uh, Polyphonic Aftertouch. And Sonic SQ80, is it? I can't remember one of uh, those. The, yeah, one of the Yamaha controllers as well. Uh, it's interesting, though, the Polyphonic, the, there is, in fact, uh, the CME a CME keyboard that just came out yeah. at NAM, which was 99 bucks, which is polyphonic aftertouch. Another and one. I told them about that, actually, when, at the, uh, after lunch. I said, oh, it's interesting, you know, that they might... And they were like, really? Where, where's, what's that? You know, because I think that's one of their biggest sort of things, the fact that it is, it will do that as well as everything else. I mean, obviously, polyphonic aftertouch is something that some things can understand, so that's, that's definitely got... There was interesting, they brought that up at the, uh, at the NAM, the 30 Years of MIDI, yeah. There, was a, there was a big section of that, wasn't there? Yeah, when they said the polyphonic aftertouch oh, was. And, and it's been left, and then somebody said, did you know there's a CME keyboard that's $90 and, and, and does that? Yeah. To which there was a kind of, oh, uh. yeah. Um, and it looks like a keyboard. Uh, it does. It, well, it looks familiar. a bit like one of these. It's got, it's got this sort of form factor. Um, and if the full-size like keys almost, just key, Yeah, the keys run down the length of it like that. So it's, the, it, it's like this. A bit bigger, but this very much this kind of Apple remote keyboard kind of format. I, I have to say, quite nice. I do have to say, quite nice, I thought, when I saw that CME one. I mean, this other thing, though, this Roly thing, I mean, it does look a bit ugly, doesn't it? I mean, to be honest, 
you know, it looks. There, there is a monolithic kind of um, aspect to it. I mean, the, uh, they've got a kind of a, a chap behind it called Roland Lamb, who is the uh, the kind of brains and the. Seems to me the man who's the figurehead for the company, the one who's good at writing all the funding papers and uh, what have you, because they've got funding and they've got 17 people working for them, you know, and they haven't got a product out there, which is an amazing place to get to just in itself, you know, from a business point of view on a a very niche musical instrument. But it does feel like uh, it's got a long way to go. You know, I mean, what we're seeing here is the big, the big daddy and then they, they were talking about maybe putting their own synthesis engine in it as well so it worked plat standalone so then they could design it there but again there was just hmm. no information about who they'd have on board doing that whether they had any internal synthesis experience of actually how to make decent synthesizers what sort of dsp it was all very vague and, uh, if, and if if they did do that there would be a lot more enthusiasm for it wouldn't there because i mean i think the uh, the problem with the eigenharp in many ways i think is that that it was just a controller at the end of the day and an expensive one at that, you know, whereas I think if they'd have actually stuck a kind of dedicated... They, I mean, the reason they were doing that was they were trying to say it's, it's more future-proof and, you know, you can understand that. Yeah. But at the, at the same time, you know, it's a lot of extra kit to take out, you know, whereas like just an all-in-one instrument just is always a kind of, you know, a more tempting prospect. Uh, but like with the Roly, though, I mean, uh, sorry, what's it called again? Seaboard the seaboard uh, i mean you know i'm saying it looks a bit ugly i mean does it look ugly or is it just it looks odd utilitarian but... I, I mean it's it's unusual <laughs> I, I, it's thin and not very heavy so i mean it's the, the, the okay. 88 key thing is going to be quite interesting because 88 keys long and, I, and how bendy it's going to be mm. what have you can uh, you fold it will it fold or is it does like it blend really? no it, it, <laughs> it do, uh, it, no it, it doesn't it doesn't fold as far as i can tell it's all one okay. single like piece should, of silicon well, yeah, I mean, if, 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 roll, if you, could, if you be... could fold it all up and stuff and make it into like a nice, you know, laptop bag, that would be cool. But it's like on picnics. Yes. <laughs> um, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, th- it does make me think, you know, when was the last time something this radical came out and we all went, no chance or yes, it's going to be great, but it actually did have legs. I'm just trying to, I was just trying to think of the last time that actually happened. Well, I mean, Eigenharp, they are, you know, they have, they are still trading, aren't they? They are still sort of, uh, you know, the building on. Still there. Yeah. Yeah, they are still, they are still, you know, so, you know, you can't write them off. You know, I think it's, uh, it still is a very ambitious and very interesting product. So it'll be interesting to see just. It know. is. I mean, I think that the, the thing about that is you can understand why it's so expensive. It's actually really amazingly made and it's got all this kind of high resolution sensors, mm. but it's just so difficult to play. And frankly, you look like a bit of a knob. I, d- I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Space I mean, bassoon. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, people say that about me playing the iPad, you know, that look a bit of a knob. <laughs> you didn't spend five grand on it, though, did you? <laughs> no. Which kind of no. enhances the amount of, yeah. you know. Yeah. No, but I mean, is it that people just don't like seeing people playing things that are a bit unusual? I think they do, but they do, though. It's just that uh, whether those things then go on to anything else. I mean, uh, let's take, for instance, Nick, in answer to your question. Yeah. Little Boots. Tenorion. Yeah. And the Tenorion. How long ago was that? Four or five years? That was the last time, perhaps, that we saw something, a radical controller. They sold a lot of those, and she was very much uh, an advocate of that, as was uh, Kieran Hebden. Um, I don't know whether they're still selling them now or what's happened to it. It was a nice idea, but it used very sort of conventional means of um, control. Mm. 
uh, familiar to anybody who's used a, um, a step sequencer, any kind of drum machine, um, in the same way that this seaboard uses a, a keyboard approach, yeah. which again is very familiar. If you don't stray too far from a, a familiar path, then I think you're going to get uh, you're going to get some interest. But things like the Eigenhop was too radical a departure for anybody who wasn't a, a, a bassoon player, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably true. But yeah, so they mm. might be onto something here, just the, the actual pro form of... Uh, uh, Laid out like a keyboard. That's right. It's like uh, two layers of, uh, of uh, chocolate fingers. Matchmakers. I was, uh, when I was doing that gig the other day and I was using that hexagon thing and, you know, the fact that when you play in on a keyboard... Every note you've got on a regular keyboard, you've just got two neighbors, you know, like the right. semitone up or a semitone down. And when you're playing the hexagon thing, you've effectively got six neighbors to the key. And, um, you know, so consequently, you can kind of move around in the most peculiar melodic structures and form. And that was, you know, quite interesting. So, in a way, going back with this seaboard to just the kind of piano layout. It's all, it's all very well and good, but it means that you're still going to have effectively music moving in similar ways to a piano, which, you know, obviously is good, but also is uh, back, you know, uh, you're going to get people, you know, when the, the, the dude was playing it there, it's like, well, okay, you know, it's it's the same kind of musical intervals that you hear. That people, yeah, I, I suppose that's, that's like, a, so it's not going to... But I think the thing is by having the X, Y, I mean, that would make a big difference, be the position up the key, because that's something that people are starting to learn from iPad interfaces. But anyway, it's, it's available now uh, for pre-order. Uh, I, they did tell me a price, but I, that, that price has now been retracted, and they're thinking about how much it costs, so they've asked me not to say what it is. So uh, I, I can tell you it's expensive. There's no two, no two ways about it. But they over, aren't... Over, over a grand? Oh, yeah, way over. They're, they're, okay, t- really? intending, they're intending to bring that technology down to smaller, to a smaller level so that they can, you know, I mean, presumably, you know, if they can melt... Because they, they have to make all this stuff pretty much in the office. You know, they're, they're fabricating it here on a handmade basis. So until they get to the, you know, the, the stage where they can start to... Um, uh, mass produced, then you know the price is going to remain high. But it, I hope that uh, that it works out, and it'll be very interesting to see how it's got how it goes down. But it's going to need some perhaps some alternative demos than you know Jordan doing his shredding on it. I think it's going to need a bit more than that, and and what have you. But we wish them the best of luck. Uh, so if you want to see yeah. anything about it, it's called wearerolly.com is the the information you can find out about who's involved and uh, all of that stuff. Um, uh, Dave, you were in, you said you you were wanted to talk a little bit about this gig that you went to last night. I mean, we could do that quickly now and then move on. Um, yeah, just to say, um, I was um, I was lucky enough to go to the Steve Reich uh, premiere of uh, his radio rewrite at the Royal Festival Hall last night. And um, yeah, there he is. There he is. And uh, Steve Reich was there in person to introduce the evening with his performance of clapping music which he tends to do these days turns up with um a colleague and does uh, two or three minutes of clapping music that famous is a cheap gig to do imagine imagine the crew for that that's a fantastic well, exactly. gig, isn't it but the actually it's funny because the microphone placement last night the microphone was sort of i think a little bit too high so when he was going you could only get some of the you didn't get ah okay yeah, so, that, so it's, there it's quite, is it's got quite flabby hands old Steve as well I mean he, the man is seventy six so uh, right. you know 
But there's a, there's a really good piece, which is what you're showing here, that Alex Petridis wrote for The Guardian. He went to interview him, and he talks about uh, people who are supposedly been influenced by him. And, of course, Reich was sampled by The Orb, and he's, there's been the Reich remixed album. Um, but... Uh, it, Briefly, last night, there was a great performance of Electric Counterpoint, which is the piece that the Orb did sample for, um, for Little Fluffy Clouds. Right. But the, 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 the main focus was this premiere of Radio Rewrite. Um, Reich was introduced to Johnny Greenwood for Radiohead at a gig a couple of years ago, and uh, somebody said to him, you really should listen to what Radiohead are doing. So Reich had to listen to some of their music. He... he, he he dwelt particularly on Jigsaw falling into place and everything in its right place. And effectively, for the first time, what he's done is written this piece of chamber music, and it's for 10 musicians, 12 musicians. And uh, he hasn't remixed or sampled Radiohead. What he's done is taken certain ideas and themes from those two uh, pieces and created... Uh, a new work, which, as I say, right. is called kind, radio, of, kind radio of like radio old radio school radio. classical um, theft, <laughs> like they well, used to yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, but what's variations on a theme? Yeah, well, he, but what's really interesting is he did a talk afterwards, and he talked about that exactly. He talked about. Um, folk tunes coming to Bartok's music and Stravinsky's music and, and um, composers all through history listening to other people and using ideas and using themes. And he's, you know, he's, he's trotted out this, the, the, these thoughts uh, on several occasions, uh, and he did it last night. He does it, and, but it's a, great, uh, it's a great philosophy to have. Basically, he says, if you're going to steal something, steal the really good stuff and, and use it in a new creative way. And I think that's why... When he was sampled by uh, the Orb back in uh, 19, uh, whenever it was, 1990, they came to an agreement with his record company, but it was something that Reich sort of said, well, yeah, they've taken my music and used it in a different way, so we'll come to an agreement. He didn't say, no, you can't use it. Um, and there was this piece last night, and he was on stage to to to, to hear it. And uh, there's been a lot of obviously there's been a lot of press about this. So there's the Guardian piece, which was really good. He was on the Today program, Radio Four, this morning. If you go to iPlayer and you get to about twenty past eight, there's a short interview with uh, with Steve Reich on there. And um, there's various bits and pieces online, but it was just quite it was quite something. And they interviewed um, Colin Greenwood, who I think is the, is the bass player. Um, yeah. He was saying he's really thrilled that. Uh, Steve Reich would, for the first time, take a piece of rock music and and take parts of it, take elements of it, and mm. write it into uh, into one of his works. Um, so it was quite it was quite the event last night. I mean, as a piece of music, as I say, 16, 16 minutes long or so, uh, and it, I can imagine it being used as a piece of dance music or a soundtrack. And I don't know everything in its right place and jigsaw falling into place. No, me neither. Um, Great but, tracks. Well, everything is the one that goes, everything. And you yeah. can hear that, that, that one five one theme. You can hear that coming back. But uh, other times, it, was, uh, it would be interesting to see what a diehard Radiohead fan thought of it. Because I think they would be listening to hear parts of, of those two pieces f- coming in and out. And I thought there's probably something there that's from the track, but I didn't know whether it was or not. But as, as an exercise... It's great, and it's it's nice to see that those the two, the, the the sort of high art, if you like, and Radiohead, who are sort of kind of high art rock, aren't they, if you like, but that coming together. And mm. uh, Steve Reich is always very. Uh, he did a little talk afterwards where he talked about that that whole thing. He's an amazing man. I've got so much respect for him, and it was just great that at 76, he's that articulate, and, and he's still writing a lot of music. So it's a great evening. He's playing in Birmingham tonight, and then in Brighton uh, tomorrow. 
and then they're doing two days in Glasgow. But he's only doing four dates in this country. He's back in October, I think. But if you are hearing this and you're in any, anywhere near those cities and you can get tickets, then I would definitely go and see because it's just a great, great lineup and a great performance. Interesting. Mm. Well, that sounds good. I'm, I'm, I'm envious that you managed to get to go. Uh, yeah. I mean, the Steve Reich stuff that I'm, uh, I'm just trying to think. What? Yeah, this the cla- I've seen various people perform the clapping uh, um, music for clapping, and it's it's clapping music. Clapping music. Yeah, mm. I'm sure. I'm sorry, I got the title wrong there. And uh, well, as opposed to <laughs> see, there's music for pieces of wood. <laughs> see, that's what you're confused with, Nick. That's probably what it was. Yeah, I was getting mm. my my uh, my my. It would and you clap. It would and me clap wrong. It, it does remind me, though, that when Philip Glass, who obviously is kind of Steve Reich's kind of closest uh, kind contemporary, of yeah, contemporary, yeah, yeah absolutely, a bit uh, more of a good quite, tune, I think, from Mr. Glass. That that thing about them work they that they set up a company as a removals company. Yeah. Philip Glass and Steve Reich did. It's, they were that really strange kind of factoid has just sort of become. That, that's what the article I read as well mentioned. That, uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. How odd. Um, but uh, they did they did a collaboration, and uh, Philip Glass uh, did uh, about with uh, the music of David Bowie uh, from uh, Low, the Low, Low Symphony. Low Heroes, yeah. And in Heroes. And I loved them. I thought they were fantastic. Using a similar kind of idea, really, taking themes and tunes and just expanding them into, um, you know, full kind of classical pieces for want of a better description but um i i i'm really really cool and i think it's really interesting to see music going that way you know rock music influencing classical music because glass has always been glass has always worked a lot more closely with the pop community i mean he did a remix of uh of uh aphex twin didn't he which we featured in future music back in the day and he did a a string arrangements for suzanne vega and uh, if i'm allowed to mention her name nick and uh, he also did uh, he did an album with um a a thousand airplanes on the roof which was done with famous linda ronstadt so he's he's always worked a lot more closely to the to the uh, the pop and the rock scene whereas reich has always been a little bit removed from that whereas the dj stroke techno stroke pop community have always referenced him and um sampled or been influenced by his work mm. so for, for him to make that kind of leap at at such a late part of his life is is quite something yeah mm. well um from that i think it's only fair that we know it's almost a now for something completely different moment <laughs> <laughs> The timing, just genius. The whole purpose of that video clip is really just for that moment. It's just absolutely genius. That is, in fact, the giant tuba that was uh, sent out. You probably got the same press release as we did because you're probably on the uh, Frankfurt Music Messe press office uh, uh, list, Dave. This is the fabled giant tuba of Machen Jochen which is appearing at the uh, Music Messer Hall 4.1 for 22. It's 50 metres of tubing, uh, two metres high, uh, weighs 50 kilograms. That was played, or an instrument very much like, I mean, how many can there be? Very much like it was played in that video clip by uh, Professor Jörg Wachschmuth. But it just, uh, as an instrument, I wonder why... 
I wonder why you make something like that. Is it just? Do you think it's kind of an? It's like um, Levi Jeans Company making giant pairs of jeans, or Playtex making a huge brassiere just because they can, and it's like a PR exercise. Or does it have any kind of musical purpose? I don't know. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> well, in the oh. same way as there are Alpenhorns, which are phenomenally unwieldy and uh, ridiculously big. And yes, they might have been used for um, calling across the, the mountains of Switzerland. You'd never get a tuba up the mountain like that, would you? But, well, you wouldn't. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, you should mention the Alpenhorn, actually, Dave, because my first visit to Music Messer, uh, I saw a carbon fibre folding Alpenhorn that was very much well, like one of those, one of those um, cups that you get, you know, that, like, that come in a little tin and you open them up and they go like that. Oh, a telescopic. Could, yeah, a telescopic Alpenhorn. So you could take it on the bus. It was you, absolutely... You got it. Did you buy one? I, I didn't. And it was before the days that I had cameras and stuff. And I just wish that I'd had a piece of that because that was just such an inspiringly brilliant, bonkers piece of mess up, which is what this is really, isn't it? It reminded me, in a, in a way, Nick, in the uh, Weirdest Instruments videos that you did some time ago with Sonic State, you had the fire organ, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, just pipes somewhere in France, and you heated them up and they made a noise. It's, it looks like one of those things where you make it because you can make it. Yeah. And then, I mean, um, imagine it's, it's probably a promo for the... the, the the custom brass makers, isn't it? Who can hmm. look what we can do given 50 metres of brass tubing yeah. and a budget. It's going to get nicked though, isn't it? And you, mm. it'll be melted down and used somewhere in... Uh, That's brilliant. In the chat room, Red Walk, uh, sorry, Red Walk says it's a pro Vuvuzela, in fact. It's a Vuvuzela <laughs> pro that you can play. Imagine having a whole orchestra of them at a, uh, at a football match. And apart from nobody behind could see anything, it would still be, it would make an awesome noise. Are there any large, I mean, you know, there, there are sort of large format instruments that make sense you know get those kind of uh, giant uh, mexican guitar acoustic guitars and stuff guys have you got anything like that tucked away in your uh, storage uh no i got the opposite i got a really small little bass a little ashbury bass it's really tiny oh, is that but, like a um, ukulele bass with uh, with the rubber strings Ah, it's rubber strings, but it's like a solid body. But yeah, it's only about it's about really, really small. I'll grab it in a minute. Um, but no, big instruments. Um, mm, I, I did hear about something that I thought was really interesting. Um, with uh, I might have mentioned this before. Apologies if I have. But uh, a friend of mine was um, traveling around in parts of West Africa and very interested in mbiras and thumb pianos and uh, marimbas and he said that there was this village and they had a hut. Well, they'd, they had like a massive base kalimba and the, basically it was like a gigantic hollowed out hut and it was all dedicated to this kalimba. So it was all dug out so it could get a really big deep bass. Uh, oh, wow. And, then, and, and they'd, have, they'd have like kind of like music events going on. Someone would play this bass kalimba you know, and it'd have this huge, big struck. You know, this kind of like, you know, it's really low tech. But um, so that the audience had to come to it. It never, it would, it wouldn't tour. Yeah, it would just yeah, be yeah, a... yeah. It literally was like a kind of like a hut with a big hollowed out chamber underneath it, and this thing in the middle of it, and then the sides of the hut lifted up so you could uh, see the player. But sort of, um, I thought that sounded really cool. Oh, I does, I just, I've just quickly the chat room has come up trumps once again. This is uh, oh, Swiss hey. Carbon Alpenhorn dot net. <laughs> 
Who'd have thought it? Eh? There it is. This is. It comes in various pieces. There you can just slot it together. It's the sort of thing that you know you imagine a uh, an assassin taking out of a kind of giant case. You know, like they put together those fantastically sort of nifty little kind of uh, instrument, and then you know this and you. But you for this one, you'd fire a, a note that of low B or something across the across the fjord or whatever it is they use it for. What did they use it for? Calling sheep or something in or communicating? I'm not sure. That, anyway, that was a complete discretion. But thanks to Ed in the chat room for that particular one um there isn't really far to go with this really dave apart from the well, messer kind of all i would say i mean it makes me want to go to the uh, makes me want to go and, and see it in performance but i guess in europe the biggest thing we have is the tuba and in the states they have the sousaphone uh, yeah. um which uh, was uh, john sousa the, the band leader uh, named after him and it was uh, the music was written Oh. Uh, he wrote a lot of music for the sousaphone. And one of my favourite memories of a NAM show about 10 years ago was going to see um, Spinal Tap, who performed in the Hilton Ballroom. And what they all played, uh, they played Big Bottom, and they had a guy came on with a sousaphone, uh, along with all the bass players, playing Big <laughs> Bottom. Uh, it was tremendous. Uh, ceiling tiles were falling down off the, uh, off the b- ballroom roof. It's oh, phenomenal. Genius, genius. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I think it's a bit of a kind of a, it's a European sort of, uh, it's the Europeans saying, hey, America, if you've got the sousaphone, then we can do a giant tuba. So what do you think about that? <laughs> yeah. Tubors. Uh, I was very disappointed in the comments. There's only one lowly uh, tuba gag uh, in there, um, and uh, I'm sure there could be more. Uh, Gaz, you seem to have, uh, so that's your Ashbury bass, right? Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen them play. So, There's a bass ukulele. There were some of those at Nam, and they've got the same sort yeah. of string technology. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these things were the original ones from the '80s. I mean, this is a reissue one, um, uh, and it kind of got big, thick silicon strings. Now the scale length is is tiny. I mean, it's about mm, maybe forty centimeters or something. I don't know. But uh, but the actual the low end of this the fundamental is absolutely stunning it's really great and it's it's a brilliant instrument to play with piano actually because it just kind of gets right underneath the piano uh, it's beautiful it's a really is it really... easy to play because I, I i would have thought the intonation uh, was so hard because it's sort of rubbery strings you know you press yeah, too hard and it goes it's, boring, 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 boring. it's <laughs> you have to approach you have to approach it as its own instrument really it's right. kind of um it, it you know um and what What's a, what got me at first was when I first started playing it, because I've been play, playing fretless for many years. Is, and on fretless, you really you play on the fret to, for the intonation. And I just couldn't get this thing in, in tune because I was playing on the fret. But then a <laughs> sort of light bulb moment, you, you play dead in the center, not ah, on the okay. fret. So it's kind of a... Um, but you get, yeah, you get, you get the intonation right, and uh, it's lovely. But you, you, have to, you have to put loads of talcum powder on the strings to, to stop them being too sticky. Which kind of, <laughs> it, adds, it adds to the kind of surrealness of the It's like a gimp suit right? for the bassist. <laughs> so it's like, I was, I was going to say this, though. When, when I play gigs on my iPad or when I've done things with other unusual instruments, the, the only problem with doing that sort of thing is people come up and everyone wants to have a go. They don't. You know, they don't come up and want to have a go of your guitar. But everyone wants, like, say I play this. People come up and say, oh, can I have a go? Everyone wants to play it all the time. And, uh, you know, which is fair enough, I suppose. Yeah. But well, <laughs> So who, who was anybody who made this famous in the 80s? Were there any big... Uh, big Tony players? Levin played one of these on... Oh, uh, well. Is it, uh, on, uh, Nick Beggs, yeah. perhaps. Maybe. What happens I if played... you slap it? <laughs> so uh, so good. <laughs> 
It's um. Boy, oi, 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 oi. It's uh, it the sound off it. Is, well, you can actually. Can you see that the A? I've just found that the A string has snapped on it. Yeah. That's the problem. You do have to detune it, and I haven't. You know, uh, the the Does it the perish. They perish, and yeah, so you've really got to keep the tension slack on them. And then the problem is, is it, it when you tune it back up again, it takes ages to settle into pitch. So, oh you know, so that's the real kind of drawback with them. But at the same time, it's incredibly portable. And as yeah, I say, it super works. Low. It works amazingly with acoustic instruments. Yeah, piano, but also acoustic guitar. And just the way that the sound is, it's kind of just got a really great... Uh, support for things um you can hear it being played on the william d drake album that i produced uh called the rising of the lights i play it on a number of tracks including the title track uh so that's a good that's a good point of reference nice plug it's an amazing album it's worth a plug excellent work there um i think we should uh, play it next next time actually yeah maybe we could we should hear it that, that at some point there's um yeah actually uh, uh um John Van Eaton in the chat room says, uh, where can you get replacement strings? I, I found a guy, in, he's in, based in Yorkshire, and he, he sell, he's found something. He, I don't know how he's found some string, but he sells it by the meter. So you buy like a meter, for the, <laughs> uh, and then you, you, you snip it to length then. Um, which is so do of, you just stretch it for whichever way? Are they all different diameters, or do you just stretch yeah, it? Yeah, no, you buy the different diameters. Uh, okay. but, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, but you do have to really kind of give the, the, the string a good stretch to, um, to try and get it to... Uh, there we go. You heard it here, yeah. folks. Nobody said that we don't ever provide niche information on this uh, on this podcast. <laughs> it's, it's funny, guys, because you, you're talking about maybe the the, uh, the Roly keyboard looks a bit uh, awkward, and you've got one of those. It sounds like a complete sod. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, Ooh, you, you have, have to, to cut your right. own strings. Oh, you have to go to Yorkshire to find a bloke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, also, when you get. And when you're it's gigging with it, it's one rule for one and one rule for another, isn't it? That's true. <laughs> oh, when you're gigging with it, people point and laugh, you know, which isn't necessarily what you know. You could, you, it would look particularly good if you were wearing like a kind of Santa's little helper outfit, kind of like gnome, gnome type, gnome type base. Yeah, and of the giants. Yeah. <laughs> they might be giants. Uh, right, we well, got a few stories here. Um, the one about um, there was the, there was one that you wanted to just quickly mention, which maybe we'll do at the end because I doubt if Dave has had any opportunity at all because uh, we didn't send that out. This was the new uh, Hollow Sun instrument. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I actually, at this point, I should say we haven't got an ad this week, but we aren't having and we aren't having a show next week, uh, not live anyway. I've got an interview with the guys from uh, Traction who are the developers behind uh, Traction Software, the DAW that's sort of just coming, uh, that just come back from Mackie and is back in development. In fact, I got a very excited email after the interview that, uh, that I'd done with them saying, because we were talking about Linux, and they said, oh, you never guess what, he's only gone and done a, a Linux version over the weekend. So, uh, yes, yeah, that'd be an interesting one to listen to. Um, uh, but not live. We won't be here live. But we do have a sponsor coming up uh, in soon, so I'm quite excited about that. And uh, it's someone that we like, which is Yippee. always good. But I won't say any more. Um, so maybe we should do the. Um, we'll do it. There's there's the couple. The, the I suppose there's Gautier, and then there's the uh, uh, the. Um, 
totally enormous extinct dinosaurs live, which I hadn't been aware of. And it was uh, one of our young chaps posted a blog post. So I think I'll hit that because that's an it's an interesting artist actually, and actually quite quite good music too. Quickly take you through my live setup. This is via TJ, uh, DJ uh, Tech Reviews, uh, great YouTube channel, got lots of stuff, obviously, in conjunction with Beatport, and he's live in uh, the States. Because I can't take that much gear, so, like, in Europe I have uh, more stuff, and it's more complicated, but this is the kind of stripped-down version for, for long flights and in faraway countries. I'm in San Francisco, by the way. Very basic, 505, this is a Novation Ultra Nova, which is... Quite fun to use, pretty fun for live. You can do loads of shit. This is something someone made. I beg your pardon there, sorry. Delphi and it goes like that, going through some delay. I'm obsessed with chorus. You should all get obsessed with chorus. Uh, Ableton, obviously. Folks. Oh, it's, a, it's an interesting piece. I mean, it's you know that he's just going through his live rig, and you kind of get the impression, oh, he's a DJ, but actually no, he's a, it's a really quite interesting sort of bouncy house pop. Uh, it's almost like CNC Music Factory, but with a really sullen boy vocal that's slightly out of tune. But it's really, really good and really sort of vibey stuff. And I'd not heard of him before, and I did a bit of research on him. And it's, it's a really, he's a very interesting chap. He's Orlando Higginbottom, who is actually the son of Professor Edward Higginbottom, who's the conductor of the, the New College Choir of, of Oxford. And he's been, uh, he's edu- he was educated in Oxford and has previously worked as a music teacher. So he's kind of like, it's a completely highly skilled musician who's just doing this sort of what sounds like very naive kind of electronic music, but it's really, it's just got a really good vibe to it. I don't know, Dave, you're, you're, you've got your finger on the pulse. Have you heard of um, Totally Enormous Extinct Dinosaurs? Uh, well, I have. They're one of these bands, you know, that, that I thought, oh, I must check it out and uh, haven't got around to yet. And then when I actually had a look at what he was doing, and found a video uh, for, uh, what was the track called? Uh, something that was released back end of last year. But um, I was quite impressed. Though you're right, it's that kind of 80s uh, singing over the top thing, which doesn't work for him. And uh, how, old, how old do you think he is? Cause 26. Oh, because in the video, I, he looks about 12 and he looked... Uh, yeah, yeah, but that's just you. So, yeah, I mean, I shouldn't know, maybe it's just me. Yeah. Oh, oh they, they come younger these days, don't they? <laughs> um, but it's nice, and I think what's, uh, it's something I want to check out. And if he's playing live rather than just... I mean, there's some Ableton there. It's interesting there's a 505 in there. Yeah. Whether he's using that... I'm presumably Ableton's clocking the 505 rather than the other way around. But um, something to check out. But uh, I thought... Um, I get, I've got him confused with, there's a, there's a band that do kind of live drum and bass, and they're called Three Trapped Tigers. Uh, three Trapped Tigers. And I, I thought, uh, Three Trapped Tigers, that's totally extinct to normal dinosaurs. And it's the same. No, of course, it's very different. Three Trapped Tigers are three blokes on a drum, uh, a, a, a keyboard, a drummer, and a guitarist, and they do kind of drum and bass live, whereas this guy is, is sort of, as you say, bouncy techno. So something to check out. But um, anybody who's using technology live, got to be good. Yeah, definitely. And he's been uh, he's been travelling all over the place. You check his site out, and it's just got you know there's actually tons and tons of dates. So he's obviously doing pretty well for himself. And look, check the U- the YouTube videos of his stuff. I mean, admittedly, some of it's kind of three, four, five, six months old, but it's like a couple of million views. So obviously, the kids love it. And it's great to hear him. One of the he makes some really interesting points if you listen through the whole video. I mean, there's the you know he likes uh, he doesn't really know 
how, how Ableton works. He just says, somebody sorts it out. All I'm interested in is the kind of performance aspect. I don't like clocking stuff. Uh, the, the, he t- said, uh, uh, what was it? He said he likes more freedom and more danger. It kind of makes the whole... So he's, it's actually quite refreshing to hear sort of somebody who's just making beats in the computer or, you know, what you'd think is up for that kind of whole live exactly. thing. Um, Can I just say, just to correct myself, the track I saw was Household Goods. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, I actually, think I saw that. Yeah, 2010. So he does look, uh, so he would have been a bit younger. That's why he kind of, the, the video is a little bit makeshift and he looks just a little bit uh, awkward. Let's right, put it that way. Okay. But musically, it's really quite nice how it bounces around. So yeah, no, it's very to, good. Good luck to him. And he seems very mature. Like I said, there's some great sort of statements. He said, right, you know, uh, he also runs his own lighting system off a MIDI track of Ableton. Oh. Yeah, so it sends it out and he's sort of, so it's like mobile DJ almost. I, I really like the idea. I'd love to see how, <laughs> how that interface is working because that's very interesting because I don't know if anybody knows or some people may know that the, the, the protocol that's used for controlling lights is essentially MIDI, mm. is a MIDI transport and it's just a kind of a, 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 sub, a, 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 a subset, I suppose, of it for the, uh, what's it called, the stuff that you use? DMX. DMX, that's right. Thank you, Dave. Um, and the other thing was, um, he was saying that, um, yeah, just don't listen to your mates. Their opinion doesn't count. What matters is what you think is good, you know. And if you play it to someone and they're saying, yeah, then it might affect the way that you feel about it. Just get on with it and just trust your instincts. And I thought, so, some all very, very sort of mature ways of looking at it. I know. Did you get a chance to look at that, guys? Uh, yeah, briefly. Um, but it's funny and seen in the chat room as well the fact that the five hundred five becomes such a talking point, really. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm sure many people, like myself included, I, I had one for a while and hated it. And but you know, uh, it's funny now that that's gaining a little bit more credibility. But what I is suppose, it about it? Is it the hi hats or something? I think it's probably because it's got MIDI on it. Ah, and it's cheap, and there are millions made, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah quite possibly. But then I suppose, you know, you take anything hardware, and it's, it can be a lot of fun. You know, you can just manipulate the sounds that much easier than when things are in the box. So I suppose that's what he's doing. But it's quite fun. It's, it is quite fun to see him and the stuff that he's doing. Um, and, but, yeah, I, it is a strange old thing, the Ableton Live setup. Um, well, not a strange thing, but just... Uh, um, I know that there is a, a bigger move. Well, there is a big movement now away from using computers live amongst young people. There's almost like this uh, real backlash against computers on stage. So things like 505s and other bits of old antiquated MIDI equipment is starting to kind yeah, of... Yeah, well, so uh, if you put that on stage, then people just think, oh, that's doing it, whereas, in fact, the whole thing's running off Ableton Live on the laptop that's on the table next to it. But, <laughs> exactly. you know, you, you've somehow... You've swayed... It's interesting, though, exactly. the, the whole lot... I mean, because, obviously, Live 9 has uh, finally come out. I mean, I haven't had a chance mm-hmm. to check it out. You have a, a bit, Gaz. But I, when I was yeah. out at Real World talking to uh, Dickie Chappell, who does monitors, but also is very, very involved in the, the, the kind of Peter Gabriel live set up and works on all the recordings. He said they've been using Ableton for years now and they've run two rigs, you know, because that we, I remember when we were out there rehearsing for uh, Golf Rap stuff, we, we had some of their crew, the, the Peter Gabriel crew, joined this tour because there was, there was some downtime and they had all these amazingly complicated switching devices that could detect. So you could have two systems running simultaneously. They'd, they'd be absolutely synced and then there'd be a, relay, a set of relays that would go bing you know, if that one failed. And they've got all of that stuff with, you know, uh, two instances of Ableton running and they've never, ever had to switch it, you know, which is saying something because that's kind of, they're probably caning it pretty hard, aren't they? 
Yeah, we're using Ableton Live quite a lot with the Carl Hyde project as well. So it is, you know, I mean, it is really a great piece of software for for the live environment. But just coming back to that point, though, about the kids, you know, turning their backs on computers. <laughs> I, for me, that is an exciting that is an exciting development, really. And I'm really kind of keen to see what people do. And, you know, uh, when they get their hands on these bits of equipment that we've all that we all think are really boring but you know find interesting uses of it uh, i'm looking forward to seeing that i'm looking forward to seeing things like sq80s and um yeah it's, uh, it's an interesting thought because i mean I, when you know when i was starting out you know i could only afford uh, a second hand s900 which is you know not the current model that was after the 950 or the 1000 came out so i could afford a 900 because the people who could afford such things were selling them off at a price where people like me could could get hold of them and so therefore we'd use those we don't really get the same thing these days because it's so accessible if you've got a computer that's got enough grunt you can basically do whatever you like you know the, Whereas, you know, the idea of introducing this sort of retro technology that will bring in limitations, I wonder if there's a, you know, the, the, this sort of self-imposed set of limitations that people are recognising either either subconsciously or in- instinctively or whether they're actually, you know, just because they want the sound of that 505 or because, you know, T's using one, so therefore I want one in my set. I wonder which mm. it is. Well, limitations always uh, uh, provokes creativity because if you... Yeah, that's where punk comes from, doesn't it? If you've only got two guitar, if you've got a bass and a guitar and a set of drums and somebody to shout, uh, you don't have an orchestra. You don't. I mean, for, for instance. But if you say, right, I'm going to use the 505 now. I'm going to use it on this track. Then suddenly, and you say, yes, I'm not going to use any number of drum machines from from Ableton or from my software synth. Then, um, as a creative spark, I think it's. Uh, I think it's fantastic. But also, of course, if you've got a 505 and you've got a little knob on stage, you, well, a little knob on stage, if you've got something to <laughs> fiddle with on stage, then visually it looks far more exciting than just a guy um, using a laptop, which mm. uh, I've seen a few of those, and it really is just uh, no mm. more. I mean, please, mm. please, no more of that. It's just so very tedious. Well, yeah. yes, that's true. But we did talk about the craft work thing the other day, and that basically looked like three blokes, four blokes standing. Well, as if a uh, CD player and uh, four minibars. Yeah, I know, but that was a classic. You know, But that's the same. Isn't that the same thing? Why is that well, allowed then? Yeah, that's an amazing, incredible immersive 3D audio experience mm. and 3D graphics. So even though uh, Ralph and the chaps were, were doing nothing <coughs> uh, or seemed to be putting doing nothing, uh, there, was, uh, there was just an amazing room. Plus, you wandered around and go, oh, is that Daniel Miller from Mute? Oh, is that Neil Tennant from Pet Shop Boys? It was a bit like that. Wow, it was a place to be seen. It yeah. was very much the Saturday night, Man Machine, or... Oh. Well, it's a, no, but it's an interesting thought, the idea of taking all the, you know, technology being introduced, you know, and again, you know, I started out with probably, I can't remember what it was now, but, you know, a really cr- rubbishy drum machine, a Yamaha DX11 and a, a, a really cheap analog digital delay, analog delay that had about, you know, 200 milliseconds of delay time, you know, and that was it. That's all I could afford. So I had to make do with it and just come up with stuff myself. And that's, I think that's better, isn't it? Technology trickle down. That's a very good term. That's a fair look at you now. There. That's a good technology trickle down. There's the official show of the title, I think. <laughs> Just because I like it, the iteration. <laughs> mm. Um, let me see what else there is. I, I, I don't know what your how's how's your time doing, Dave? Are you? Kind oh, well, of, I've got to go actually. I've got, got I've got newsletters to approve. I'm afraid. <sighs> that's a p- 
that's that 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 sounds like a tough task. Uh, it's oh, it's, it's sobbing proofing. Is it like is it like um, vetting your children's thank you letters at Christmas? A bit like that. <laughs> Take out <all> the swearing. <laughs> thank you very much for my. I am using it every day. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly it. Anyway, Dave, well, Dave Robinson, thank you very much. Pro Sound News uh, Europe. That's PS. T- tell us what the. It's now PSNEurope.com. PSN, not that URL that's below there. Well, actually, that will still work. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, Nick. Sorry I've been away <coughs> so long. But, uh, you know, I'll try and come back again soon. So, uh, so thank you for having me. You're very I welcome. Get, I want to get back on a double Dave day. That's what we need, obviously. We'll have another double Dave, yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, and so, Gaz, it's just me and you left. I don't know if you wanted to mm. quickly maybe uh, go into that Hollow Sun stuff, because that was uh, obviously uh, of interest. I mean, you, you did yeah. bring that up, didn't you? So yeah. let me see if I can make your... Uh, your um... Well, of course, it's it's one of these Hollow Sun releases that does require the user to have contact. I think it has to be contact four or later. So just have to mention that first. Okay. Uh, oh, let me play this. Let me because I've got a uh, a web page up here, which is the mm-hmm. this is the Sotu or Sotu. Yeah. I, I think that's what it's called. Let's see if I sound of the universe. And it it's very atmospheric. And as far as I mm. can tell, it's basically. Um, the sound, well, uh, it's inspired by this uh, NASA International NASA. Space Agencies have been sending yeah. out probes to the deepest recesses of space and recording the telemetry, I guess, and the sounds of the universe, the music of the spheres, as we've heard before. Yes, yeah. But and, then... And that's the... In- oh, it's all runic. <laughs> yeah. It's like the fifth element. It's all very strange. I'm liking it. I like the width. It's got a sort of... All of Hollow Sun stuff has got this kind of... Uh, uh, it's cool. Yeah, that thing there, that coloured circle, is uh, is like a random generator, so... Ah, you'll be a big fan of that, then. I am, I am. But uh, it, oh, this is presumably some of the source uh, technology that went into it. That's right. Mm. Oh, it's quite hypnotic, isn't it? That's cool. It's really cool. And that's 15 bucks. I mean, that's their usual kind of dirt cheap uh, um, And they, these yeah. actually, um, you do need a full version of Contact to run it, though, don't you? That's the thing, right? Yeah, you can, you can, uh, if you can download the, if you've got the Contact player, it'll work as a time-limited sort of unsavable demo. Um, but yeah, if you need Contact for or above. Uh, and then, yeah, so £15. But I mean, you know, you look back at all the stuff that they've been doing over the last couple of years, the, the MLM, uh, the... What's that? The music laboratory machines and some of the other recent stuff that they've been doing is it's just really, really, really great sounding stuff that is very inspiring to use and just yeah, so really there's, there's a philosophy behind it. That, um, also, the interest they, they've taken the unusual step of following uh, one of his synth idols, Iso Tomito, uh, uh, and master of of space music by putting echo after the reverb, thus smudging everything beautifully into a wash of sound which could emanate from a grand cathedral. It's got that sort of uh, vibe of the uh, Quantec Room Simulator, the, the freeze, where you just freeze these kind of textures and they just loop infinitely. And mm-hmm. um, that was a very big... Uh, I don't know if you ever... That, that was a, a sound that was used a lot mm. uh, by Gabriel, the Quantec Room Simulator. Australian, funny little Australian company. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not funny. I mean, they're pro- I, I think I saw them 
at Mesa last year, they've brought out a new version of it. It's a, it's a very thin, but it still has the same kind of classic interface as the uh, QRS. Mm. Uh, had a, and that was quadraphonic, if I remember correctly. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just the thing about Hollow Sun uh, that, you know, uh, is run by a guy called Stephen Howell. And he, I think we're going to get him as a guest. Is that the? the yeah, I'd love to at some point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We've got that's that's the, that's the plan. I, um, I, I know. I know that he's keen. I know that he's keen. But I mean, he's a bit of a legend, really. When you look at what he's achieved over the years, I mean, he pretty much designed the user interfaces, didn't he, for all the Akai samplers from the S one thousand upwards. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so he's kind of you know I think he's a very interesting guy. So he knows a lot about sampling and uh, controlling and whatnot. And. Uh, this Sound of the Universe expansion, yeah, it's quite interesting in that the controls are all completely uh, indecipherable. Yeah, <laughs> they don't mean anything, do they? I'm just but trying to see what sort of down- size download it is, actually. Uh, it's big. Oh, it's it's big. big. Yeah. It's about it's... A one and a half gig or something. Oh, right, okay. So, so lots of big... Much bigger than their normal ones. Um, what I was going to say, though, about the sort of cryptic controls, though, it's quite interesting because all the sounds that kind of come out of it are all these kind of textures really so yeah. it's not it's not that you would be going in there to t- kind of tweak the release or whatever because they're also yeah there, there is no release it's just on <laughs> yeah so you know these controls you just play with them oh oh and it makes it sound a bit like that or it makes it sound a bit right. like oh. that um mm. but to be honest i just find that um pressing that middle kind of icon just gen- that generates a kind of random subset of sounds you know from what you've just been doing and uh you know, it, I, I think it would be a great piece of software to reach for if you wanted to have like an atmospheric bed to something, be it uh, be it like a computer game soundtrack or, you know, something. Oh, uh, yeah, and I can just see that, the 3D rendering, wandering around some alien landscape. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I mean, because I've got the uh, the music of the spheres, the, the NASA thing, and it really does, it's very, it has very much got the, you know, it is that as an instrument, really. It's the closest thing I've found to the... So if you're, if you're familiar with that and you wanted to sort of use it in some way, I have actually sampled that in the past, that uh, NASA thing. So, um, so we, I think we covered it's... that, didn't we, on uh, on uh, yeah. previous podcast? It's the, the yeah, album yeah. of the music of spheres. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you know, and uh, you know, so so to have like an instrument which is in, inspired by that, I think is 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 cool, and I, that's why. I, yeah, I we always like to show, and also great price. I, I must put a news item up about it because that's the first I heard of it today. So I will uh, check that out. But uh, jolly good work. In fact, what we might do is play out over some more of it, just so that we can kind of bask in its otherworldness. But obviously now all our Gaz is the last remaining guest on the show. If, imagine, if you will, we are the last two human beings in a post-war sort of apocalyptic kind of uh, <laughs> landscape, and this is what's outside of our little cocoon of uh, bright technology light. That will set the scene, and then um, <laughs> you know, we can use it as the soundtrack. But, uh, yeah, it's great sort of evolving, unusual sort of sounds. But, Gaz, thank you very much for joining us. Um, pleasure to have you. You're uh, off You're off. You're off out again. What are you doing in the next, for the next week or so? Off to France. Nice. Yeah, for a week. Uh, a good food part of France or...? Uh, yeah, no, Normandy. Going to be out there. Oh, lovely. Doing a bunch of gigs, improvised gigs, with uh, my great friend Chris Powell, who's a... Incredible musician. 
So it's really weird listening to you talk about this great stuff, but with this really <laughs> weird background. It sounds ah. sad what you're saying for some reason. It's not at all, is it? Isn't that peculiar? The, the power I, of the, the the backdrop. I have to say, I mean, the chat room is reminding me about my pledge oh, yeah. to eat my monotron. Maybe you get, you need to get your future wife to bake you a cake. No, no, well, we looked at doing that, and I thought, well, that's a cop-out. That is a cop-out. I really have been looking at eating my monotron for real. Uh, I have been advised against that it might well kill me. I, to be honest, I think the ROHS compliancy sticker on the side of it is not going to cover you when you <laughs> when you file for... Uh, well, I ate it. It didn't say, don't eat me. I ate it, and now I'm ill, so uh, <laughs> not great. I... Yes. Well, uh, but I thought cooking a cake is a cop-out, so um, I'm, I'm thinking of eating of the monotron. Uh, what, are you, but you, what you could do is make a cake that looks like a monotron and maybe uh, with, with one knob cap ground into it or something. Do you know what I mean? I think that would be acceptable. Ah. Uh, do you think so? No. I mean, well, look, I'm not, I don't want you to eat it at all. <laughs> I've said I'd eat it, and I've got to be a man of my, a man of my, uh, man of my word. Well, maybe you could eat the packaging. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah, no, look, I'm somebody said, Chris head in the Chris head in the in the chat room said, eat the packaging. I think baking a monotron cake is perfectly acceptable because really? that's going to take you quite considerable. You know, knowing what a completist you are, that is going to take considerable amount of effort to make something that really looks like a monotron cake. Hmm. Apparently, a friend of mine told me that there is somebody somewhere in America, I think it is, who makes circuit boards out of candy and accurate circuit boards. Uh, Sounds expensive. Is it really expensive? I think so. But I I did consider that briefly. Um, I think a cake would be acceptable. I've seen several cake votes here. Yeah. Eat, the, eat the manual. There's another one for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I just uh, don't don't create a rock feel back. Honestly, there's really no need. <laughs> but anyway, Gaz, thank you very much for joining us. As I said, I've got this sort of uh, this very strange backdrop. This again, we're listening to the Hollow Sun. Um, and I just want to remind everybody: next week uh, there will be no. Uh, in fact, if I go to here, that's probably going to be a bit more. And then uh, there will be no. Um, show live but there will be an interview uh, of uh, the guys from Traction um, so mm. I, I will take this opportunity to, to sign off now and uh, okay. thank you very much guys thank you bye bye everyone bye